Allow me to lead us in prayer before we come and consider God's word together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to have you address us. We thank you for your word and for the time we get to spend, even this rainy day, to come together and to sit under your word again. And so we pray that you'd help us to have ears open, eyes to see, hearts that are hungry and willing to take on board what you show us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, did anyone catch the Australian of the Year Awards this year? I don't know if you heard it or watched it or streamed it afterwards. A medical person uh, won Australian of the Year this year, a man going by the name of Dr. James Mukey from Adelaide. Uh, he's an eye surgeon and an incredible man by all accounts, doing great work in his field. A couple of years back, in 2018, I had a friend who won the local hero category of Australian of the Year. Uh, you might know him, Eddie Wu, who now teaches at Cherrybrook Technology High School. Um, he might be your teacher. Uh, he, he's a maths teacher. He, he won local hero in 2018. Uh, Eddie and I were friends at uni. Um, he took out that award for being an outstanding educator that year and even had the honour of giving the speech on Australia Day in 2018 for New South Wales, which I think is a pretty cool kind of honour. And these awards are a great initiative because what they do is, every year they help us focus on some brilliant, positive contribution that someone is making in our community and celebrating those people as, as role models. The prophet Jonah would definitely not have won Israelite of the Year. I don't think so. On award night, he is not getting best local prophet. This man who the story that we've read together is named after is not a positive role model or someone you'd be proud that your kids grow up to be like. Now, Jonah is possibly the worst prophet of God we have a story about. He is the exact opposite of what a role model is. He's the what not to do example. And what I'm hoping we'll be encouraged by through this series in Jonah is not Jonah himself, but that despite Jonah, God is gracious and, and patient and incredibly kind. I'm hoping to be back at Penno uh, every once in a while, every five or six weeks, uh, to see you all and to bring updates from the work at Eastwood. And whenever I'm here, John usually invites me to, to preach. And so starting from today and for the next few times that I come and visit you, I'll be taking us through the uh, story of Jonah, one chapter at a time. And so we'll do the first installment today, and then perhaps next month we'll, we'll do chapter two together. But the story of this prophet begins in the way all stories of the prophets begin, where the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. God speaks and moves his human subject to action to be God's messenger and to act on God's behalf. Or at least that's how it's supposed to work, but not this time. Because this time, even though it starts well enough, God speaks and gives a directive to his prophet. Then we hit a speed bump. Because this prophet decides not to accept the job. Jonah runs away, uh, verse 1. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I don't know if you're familiar at all with the geography of um, the ancient Near East and these towns that I just mentioned there. Jonah presumably starts in Israel uh, and is told to head north to go up to uh, Assyria, to the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. So he starts in Israel, he's meant to head up north. But Jonah decides to run. So instead of going up north, he heads down south in the opposite direction to this little port city called Joppa. And there he finds a ship heading to the far western side of the Mediterranean Sea, about as far away as he could get from Nineveh, where God asked him to go, to the edge of the known world. It's like if God comes up to you and, and asks you to go and, go and preach up in Newcastle, and instead you don't want to go, so you go down south to Wollongong. And then Wollongong's not far enough away, so then you hop on a plane and fly to Perth, just to get as far away from Newcastle as you possibly can. Jonah doesn't want to do what God's told him to do. He doesn't want to be what God's asked him to be. He doesn't want to be a prophet and have to go to Nineveh. And in this chapter, we're not told exactly why. You find out later, so in a couple of next chapters, you find out why Jonah doesn't want to go. But for now, all we know is he is a prophet who's on the run. And the person Jonah is running from is... God, the Lord of heaven and earth. So you can imagine how well this is going to go for our friend. Uh, Where can you go to hide from the Lord of all the earth? Have you ever tried running from God? Are you running from him even now? Or something that he's asking you to do? But God's not done with Jonah yet. He knows exactly where Jonah is and what he's doing and that Jonah's running away. And God is not going to let Jonah go. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The, The storm is so bad that the sailors on board are fearing for their lives. They're unwilling to ditch their cargo to lighten the hull. They just want the ship to stay afloat. At this point, they don't care if they're not going to make any money out of this trip. They're just happy if they can get out of this one alive, it seems. And every single one of these men, they're praying, we're told, each to their own God. Uh, It's getting bad on that boat. I don't know if sailors are any more superstitious than any other people, but when your life is on the line and when you're desperate, I suspect you pray to whatever God you think might be out there that can possibly help you. Jonah, though, he's not praying to his God. No, Jonah is asleep, uh, which is ironic, I think, because Jonah is the prophet of the one true God, unlike the pagan sailors outside whose prayers are useless. Jonah's the one who's got a connection to the Almighty. Jonah is the one whose God is the father of creation. And if Jonah's God says a word, he can bring order from out of chaos. He can stop this storm in a heartbeat. And yet Jonah will not pray, will he? Even when the ship captain pleads with him to. Second half of verse 5. 
Um, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. But Jonah's not praying because he knows. He knows trouble has come precisely because God... Well, Jonah's turned his back on God. And Jonah's not about to turn to God now, is he? Jonah wants to just close his eyes, go to sleep, shut his ears and run away. But this storm is not letting up. By this point, the sailors seem to have given up trying to save themselves from their situation. Their efforts aren't getting them anywhere. Their prayers aren't being answered. And so they figured perhaps the gods are angry. And perhaps it's one of them on board who's provoked that anger. Uh, So verse 7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. A question there in verse 10, they ask him, what have you done? I don't think they're actually asking a question. I don't think they're asking him to catalogue the list of things he's been up to to offend his God. Because apparently they already know. Jonah's already told them on coming on the ship that the reason he's there in, in the first place is that he's running away from his God. They know that. I think instead what they're saying to Jonah in verse 10 is some sort of indictment. What have you done? You've killed us all is what I think they're getting at. They rightly figure this is all Jonah's fault. And they can't believe that he'd do something so stupid that now puts all their lives at risk. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Do you notice Jonah doesn't tell them to go and turn the boat around um, so he can go to Nineveh? Because that might have actually stopped the storm, don't you think? No, he says, throw me overboard. This is my fault, he says. He knows it's my fault, and so what he wants to do is sacrifice his life and that'll be it. He is more accepting about going to his death than turning around and doing the thing that God has asked him to do. He is committed to this. Don't you think God would have calmed the storm down the minute Jonah says, okay, guys, turn around, take me back to Joppa, I'm going to Nineveh. But no, Jonah instead just says, just kill me. Now, the sailors don't want to do that. The sailors don't want to do that. It's clear by now it's Jonah's fault that they're in trouble. Jonah has admitted as much, but still these sailors want to spare Jonah's life. They treat him so much better than he deserves. Until the storm gets so bad that they feel like they have nothing left to try. Verse 13. Instead, the men did did their best to row back to land, but they could not. 
So um, Jonah's told them, pick me up, throw me overboard. Uh, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you've pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Um, the fact that supernatural transaction has just occurred is rammed home to the sailors on the boat, because as soon as Jonah is thrown overboard, this um, prophet of God suggested that they do this thing to him, and once they do, the storm goes away, and everything is calm, and the sailors are terrified. And without this prophet trying, almost in spite of Jonah, this chapter somehow ends with God having drawn people to himself who, I guess at the start of this story, these sailors would have had nothing to do with God. They had no idea who the God of the Hebrews was, but now they know. These sailors, at the end of the day, have this reverence for the God of Israel. They make vows and sacrifices they have this humility that they didn't start the day with in the face of the true Lord of creation. See that in verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the story is not yet over for Jonah. Uh, the sailors think they've regrettably thrown a man into the sea to drown. But the Lord of creation has other plans. Verse uh, 17. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And uh, you don't know yet whether this is a continuation of God's judgment on Jonah for his running away. Can't be nice being swallowed by a fish, I imagine. But if the other alternative is to drown, then maybe this is another kind of salvation. Uh, so chapter 1 ends here with God revealing himself and extending his grace to the people on the boat as well as to Jonah in spite of Jonah's own reluctance to go along with it. God's purposes prevail. Uh, we'll see how the story pans out as we, as we go in coming weeks, but um, let's pause a, a while and reflect on where we've come so far. I used to be quite involved in um, summer mission programs. I don't know if uh, you were too. Uh, teams of Christian people go to caravan parks around the country near beaches or they partner with churches in a town to run special holiday programs uh, where you go and introduce um, uh, Jesus to children and young people, kind of like what we did here at Penno Life just a few weeks ago. And the makeup of a lot of these teams around the country is often young adults, often university students who've got oodles of time off in December and January. Uh, and the thing is, working with a bunch of university students, uh, you notice that some of them can be very last minute in their preparations. Uh, so much so that I remember this conversation I had with this one guy. The last summer mission Joyce and I went to visit, we were there just for a day to visit. Um, it was a team that I used to be part of. And it was over lunchtime, I remember sitting with a youngish team member and asking this guy how his morning went, how the program went. And this guy goes on to explain to me just how miraculously he saw God at work that day because this guy hadn't done his prep at all. Um, never mind the fact that he had half a year to get things ready. Uh, 
Come week of the program, somehow he wasn't ready. Surprise, surprise. And feeling overwhelmed by the prospect of having to minister to a whole bunch of small children with only a half-baked program. But the morning was over, he said, he was delighted because, his words, God was strong in my weakness. And he was almost proud of the fact that God took his disorganization and lack of preparation and whatever the opposite of faithfulness is, God took that and worked in spite of him to do great things. This was this young man's learning from the week. Now, I get his point. God is incredible like that. And we ought to always be grateful for God's kindness. And this man obviously had a good team backing him up to help him. So maybe I'm a bit harsh, but I couldn't help but think, what a shame to be an obstacle that God's grace has to work around in spite of us and our unhelpfulness. The point is to not sin more so that God's grace might increase, but to actually be, why not get on board with what God is doing and actually be willing and faithful as a servant who stewards God's gifts to us well. One of the more disappointing things about Jonah in this chapter is how much he takes for granted that God is with him. God is so much with him that Jonah feels like he has to run away. Whereas these other sailors who are in the boat, all the people in the city of Nineveh, they know nothing of the God who holds everything in his hands. Those sailors in Nineveh, they desperately need a word from God. And here's Jonah with a word from God who's running away from it. He is the one man on the boat who knows the Lord of all creation and the one man who's refusing to pray. While all around him, those people who have no idea are crying out to so-called gods who can't help. And God was kind and gracious to save anyway, because that's who God is. But it's just such a shame that Jonah won't get on board with what God is doing. And he winds up going overboard. So let me ask you, are you here this morning? Running away from God, who's calling you to Him? If that's you, I'm not saying you're going to get swallowed by a fish when you walk out the door, but do consider how privileged a position you're in. That God is extending a hand to you, giving you an invitation to come and join in His purposes. And whether that's God calling you to Him for the first time, or to return to Him after some time away, would you stop running and take His hand and go with Him where He wants to take you? Or perhaps this morning the Spirit of God has brought to mind something specific, uh, some opportunity or direction that He might have been laying on your heart for some time now that you haven't had the courage or the willingness to take seriously. I wonder if there's something you've been putting off or just saying no to God about, even if it's become pretty clear that that's what God wants you to do. If that's you, I wonder, are you going to make God work in spite of you? Because he will. How much better for you and everyone around you if you actually got on board with the thing that he's prodding you towards? I don't know what those things could be. I imagine this particular time in our church's life, 
Uh, there's lots of things for you to get involved in with the revitalization of Eastwood that many of you might have been praying about, praying for discernment about if and how you might get involved, uh, whether to join the team who's going or to remain at Penno and, and step up in helping out here because you know the resources here will be a bit thinner on the ground. Or it might be some other thing, uh, some other purpose, some other opportunity that uh, God has been laying on your heart for some time now. Something you perhaps you've been praying about for months and now it seems what's lacking is not clarity, it's courage to get on board with what God is asking you to do. Perhaps you don't have a specific sense of calling, that is okay. Come tomorrow morning, all of us, uh, whether we wake up and begin our working week or school week or whatever your plans and appointments are for this week, I wonder, do you know God's call on all of us who he's called out of the world? So at least we can start there. To be holy and to be his, to be an ambassador for him wherever he sent us. To be sharing with others what God has given to us, whatever he's given to us to do. That's the baseline call for all of us. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be following Jesus. Or is your plan tomorrow just to retreat into anonymity and to close your eyes to it all and pretend to be asleep and refuse God's calling on your life to be his? God might well bless those around you in spite of you. You don't want that, do you? Get on board with what God is doing. Don't wait till you're overboard and somehow you find people are praising God despite your disobedience. God will be God regardless, but why would you insist on missing out on his plans for good? How much better to be the one to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Amen?